Hello and welcome to our podcast, Within the Mist, a hidden place where we walk into the dark and clouded unknown to tell stories and analyze the likes of cryptids, ghosts, and other mysteries. For our, and hopefully your amusement, I am your house guest of a host, Gary, with my wife and co-host, Goldie Ann. Hello, Goldie Ann. Hello, Gary. That mm-hmm. seems a little odd. In what way? Guest of a host? House guest of a host. Wow. Well, I... Not the actual host if it's in a haunted house. Ooh, my favorite. Exactly. In fact, Goldie Ann, do you know why the haunted house screamed? Oh, God. I don't know. From the window pane. <sighs> Jesus. Are you in pain? I'm in a lot of pain. <laughs> but I also want to sing, from the windows to the wall. Oh, I guess we really shouldn't sing that, huh? Is that what everyone that, else is now. Was that singing? Oh, screw you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nice husband remarks. Well, as part of our growing podcast, we have set up ourselves as part of a website known as Podcorn. This is a website that connects podcasts with advertisers, so you may start hearing some sponsors on upcoming episodes. With that in mind, if you, the listener, would like to be a sponsor on our podcast with a book, movie, or product that you feel would be a good fit with this podcast, please contact us on our email address, withinthemistpodcast at gmail.com. We will be offering multiple options from having a sponsored message before the episode or placed in the middle of the episode. We can place a pre-recorded message of your creation, read your copy, or write and perform a message for you. For those of you with a specialized interest, there will also be an option where we can investigate and present your favorite topic. So, send us an email today for an upcoming episode. Now is a great time to take advantage of this, as we will be offering very low rates in order to prove that this is a marketable option for other companies and creators. So take advantage now. Today's episode contains stories about a house that has been involved in murders, decapitations, unholy experiments, ghosts, and even explosions involving multiple deaths. That's awesome. I mean, that part's not awesome. I mean, oh, never mind. You scare me so much. Some members of our audience might find this a bit unsettling, so please be forewarned. We are storytellers who have gathered information on some of our favorite mysteries to bring to you. We don't attempt to scare our listeners on purpose. Well, maybe just a little. Listener discretion is always advised. So now, let's take a walk within the mist. There was once a house in Pittsburgh's Manchester neighborhood on the north side. It was known as the house the devil built. It was believed to be the most haunted house in the nation. I find this hard to believe. We will be going over the subject and you can make a decision for yourself. Because today we discuss the Conglarier house. What are some of your initial opinions on haunted houses? Um, I love them. <clears throat> I want to live in one. Um, why would you want to live in a haunted house? Why wouldn't you want to live in a haunted house? Because they're not paying rent. No. Are they doing house like, chores? It's like dinner, like dinner and a show or something, you know? Yeah, show. Constant entertainment. 
Okay, but this show might not have a happy ending. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I guess some of those are like that. Well, this one's going to be the one I like that. So you tell me if this is a house that you want to live in. Okay. Chapter one, the Conglariers love triangle. Oh, great. According to legend, a man by the name of Charles Conglarier made a fortune as a carpetbagger in the South after the Civil War and during the Reconstruction Era. Carpetbaggers are defined as those who had come from the North to the South and they would sell all kinds of products. They were called carpetbaggers because all they would carry with them is a suitcase type thing made out of carpets. Some of them were considered con men. Some were actually equitable. So this Charles made a fortune doing that by traveling the South and selling all kinds of products to the people as they were trying to rebuild after the Civil War. Right. That's really confusing to me because every time I think of carpetbagger, I think of you know vacuum salesmen, insurance salesmen. Well, that's you kind know, of the modern day versions of a carpetbagger. They're poor. They don't make. They don't make anything. Some do. Well, in this case, Charles did. Okay. In fact, he made so much that he built a beautiful mansion in the 1860s. Maybe you should go be a carpetbagger then. <laughs> in it for the money, huh? <clears throat> money, money hungry, money, money honey, money hungry. <laughs> The most important thing about this building is that it actually has an address. It was located at 1129 Ridge Avenue, which is in the ritzier Manchester neighborhood of the north side. Had? We'll get to that. (laughs) It was beautiful. It was huge. It was ornate. And it overlooked the Allegheny and the Monogalia Rivers as they merged into the Ohio Rivers. Nice. So it had a magnificent view. So this is a real beautiful mansion-style house in the middle of Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh? Yeah. I mean, during the 1800s, Pittsburgh was in its major boom in the mid-1800s. Reminds me of my favorite movie. What's your favorite movie? Rose Red. (laughs) Another horror movie. Yeah, another haunted house. So Pittsburgh will be so happy to hear that. Now, like most cities in the progressive age... The middle class and the low class citizens came flooding into the cities for the industry. Chicago had major meatpacking industries, whereas Pittsburgh was and still is known for its steel industry. What if that's where Stephen King got his his what's word am I looking for? Inspiration. It's hard to say. Uh, this is a very popular story in Pittsburgh, and during this time, men like Carnegie and Rockefeller moved their offices to Pittsburgh. They were making huge profits off the steel manufacturing plants. Pittsburgh was also a booming city due to the fact of where it was located. Being located on the three major rivers, the Allegheny and the Monongalia, that flowed east and the Ohio flowed to the west. This made shipping products very easy for the steel plants. So Pittsburgh was in a perfect place at the perfect time for the steel industry. And located at this highlight of progress was the Conglarier Mansion, which had became known for elaborate parties, which played host to some of Pittsburgh's most notable business magnets. It was the epicenter of high society of the time, with fancy dinner parties and everyone who knew anyone would be there. Charles lived in the house with his Mexican wife, Lida, and their maid, Essie. It was never expressly identified what Charles' business was at this time, but 
He seemed to be very well connected to all of the many of the industries in this city. Life in the Conglarier house appeared to be a happy one, and the couple had everything they could want. As the old saying goes, however, you never know what's really going on behind closed doors. Sometimes, you don't even know what's going on in your own home. Dun, dun, dun. Exactly. Oh, heck, yeah. I just remember what you said the name of this chapter was. <laughs> now we're getting into the name <laughs> of the chapter because it seems Charles and the maid were having a secret affair. It had been ongoing for quite some time, and many of the family friends were aware of the debauchery, wow. but poor Lida was oblivious. It is possible that she chose to turn a blind eye to not disturb her idyllic life. However, that would change when she overheard what was happening in the winter of 1871. Lida went in search of Essie one day when the maid didn't respond to her summons. When she approached the closed door of the maid's room, she heard certain, shall we say, noises coming from behind it. Knowing that there was only one possibility of who was in the room with her, the wife flew in a rage. She could no longer ignore what was happening in her very own home. Cut the bitch. Well, that discovery sparked Lida's own passion, the kind of passion that drives a modern-day horror movie. The scenario has played out throughout the centuries, and I doubt anyone listening would be totally surprised by her response. She collected a knife and a meat cleaver, and an enraged Lida decided to confront her husband and his mistress. That's my girl. She went back upstairs to wait. When the maid's door eventually opened, she ambushed and took out her rage on both Charles and Essie, permanently ending their affair. She's. No, no, it's it's fine. Us you girls pick the stick side. together. Well. Well. The good girls. In this case, she stabbed her husband to death and chopped off the head of the maid. <laughs> Later, a family friend of the Conglariers came to the house after not hearing from Charles for a few days. He opened the door to the majestic home to find only darkness and silence inside. It was as if the house had been abandoned. That was when he heard a rocking chair quietly creaking upstairs. Driven on by a desire to solve the mystery of the gloom-laden environment, he made his way up the staircase and followed the sounds. A thick smell of rot assaulted his senses. Opening the door to a nursery that the couple were preparing for the future, he found the wife Lida. Out of her mind from grief or rage, as no one really knows, she rocked back and forth on a rocking chair in front of a large bay window. Lida, is everything all right? He spoke to her. There was no reply. Lida continued to rock back and forth in the chair. As the friend drew closer, he could hear her softly crooning a lullaby under her breath. It was a child's nursery song, he realized and he saw a bundle that she had wrapped in a blanket in her arms. She held it close, pretty much as she would hold a baby, rocking it gently. The man felt a sudden chill course through him. He knew that the Conglariers had no children. 
He spoke to her once again, but there was still no answer. Lida merely stared straight ahead at the snow outside. Her eyes glazed and unfocused. He gently leaned over and eased the bundle out of her hands. He carefully opened the pink blanket and then recoiled with horror, dropping the bloody bundle onto the floor. It landed on the wooden floorboards with a solid thud, and the contents of the blanket rolled away. The friend fell backwards on the couch as Essie's bloody head came to a halt a short distance away from his feet. Lida was oblivious to everything else around her, completely catatonic with the body of her husband and his lover only a few feet away. Now the family had high-ranking connections and the ability to avoid a scandal. Therefore, there was no trial and poor Lida disappeared behind the walls of an asylum to the end of her days. The house itself remained uninhabited for about 20 years due to the horrific rumors about the Conglariers. Locals could not resist retelling the story in hushed tones, and there was not anyone who would venture within the home. Even less likely were they to live there. The residual dark energy had absorbed itself into the walls, floors, and ceilings. The Conglariers' house waited. <laughs> well, at least she picked the right color blanket. Did she now? Or was <laughs> yeah. it a white blanket that turned pink from the blood? Oh. Hmm. Good question. Okay, question to be uh, absolutely. knocked out, to be crossed out of this. Um, the whole story about the rocking chair in the nursery, was that put what you put in there or you actually found that? Cause no, I, didn't I actually found that. that. No, I, I found that she was on the front porch rocking chair. No. Just There's, holding the head in her lap. No in, blanket or nothing. The Conglarier house story has so many versions and so many variations because it's been retold by different people throughout the decades. Right. So what I did is I took the most common elements of each version that I read, okay. which pretty much I've read like 20 of them and saw multiple videos telling the stories. And I've combined them all into this complete episode. Okay. So the majority of the stories that I read stated that she was in a rocking chair in the home hmm. and that she was in a nursery. It never said if she was pregnant or not at the time. No. But I, no, I never even read about the nursery. That's what I mean. Well, that's what I'm here for, to go. fill in the blanks for you. Like I said, I heard she was on the front porch in the rocking chair with the, her maid's head in her lap. Most of the versions that you would find online or hear from the locals will state that she was in a room upstairs. Awesome. Okay. Anything else? Nope. That was it. Okay. Then let's continue on. Chapter 2, Railroad Terrors. A railroad company purchased the home in 1892 and converted it into apartments for the rail workers. As the steel production continued to thrive, so did the need to transport it to the growing country. This meant increased railroad and railroad workers needing a place to stay. The workers, however, did not last long within the Conglarier house. They were chased out almost immediately by the paranormal and refused to stay in the building. They heard things. These rugged workers would say such things as a crying woman screaming in the sound of a rocking chair 
where there was no rocking chair to be found. They noted growling coming from the walls, and there were incidences of being pushed, lighting disturbances, and odd smells becoming commonplace in the old building. The strange noises emanated from all corners of the house, and dark figures were seen walking down the hallways. One fateful night, things took a drastic turn for the worse. As many witnesses have recounted, the building seemed to come alive. One man was found dead with a stake of wood stabbed through his heart. Damn! The police found two more dead men in the basement. A culprit was never found for the murder. She just don't like men no more. The house definitely doesn't. The railroad company had no choice but to give up on the house just two years later, leaving it vacant once more. Two years? That's quite a bit. Quite a long time for all that to go on. Well, you have to look at it this way, in that the railroad company was trying to find a cheap place to house their workers. True. And the executives, the people paying the bills, weren't the ones in the building. So they heard the complaints, and they were pretty much trying to ignore it or trying to force the workers to stay in the house longer than they needed to. Right. So and I'm kind of amazed that they were able to push it for two years, but the railroad, the railroad workers finally got their way, and they just were not going to stay there anymore. So the railroad company attempted to find a buyer, perhaps someone who had little clue as to what it transpired into the house. So they were trying to find someone who was clueless or gullible into buying it. Here I am. The house went back on the market and darkened even more. Dun, dun, dun. Awesome. Chapter 3, The Mad Doctor. Dr. Adolf C. Brockreiter purchased the home in 1900 upon his arrival in America. The doctor became something of an enigma in the neighborhood. Although he had been warned of the past history of the house, he chose to purchase the place anyway. <laughs> After moving in, the doctor had very little to do with the nearby residents. He was a recluse and never left the home or socialized with the neighbors. Instead, he kept to himself and was rarely seen by those who lived close to him. There were rumors about what kind of doctor he was, but he was never seen opening a medical office to treat patients. The people of the neighborhood could tell stories, but they couldn't even recall where the doctor was originally from or what brought him to America. Everything was a secret. The people in the neighborhood watched, and they held their breath. They were just waiting for something terrible to happen. That didn't take long, and would eventually happen on the night of August 12, 1901. The neighbors were startled first by the sounds of a woman screaming from within the house. That was quickly followed by an explosion of light that rocked the building, blowing out windows and sending cracks up and down the sidewalk. The very air was filled with the smell of ozone. The people came out of their homes, but nobody would dare go up to the Conglarier house. A feeling of dread prevented even the bravest from taking one step up the walkway to the front door. They felt it was better or at least safer for them to contact the authorities. Yeah. 
By the time the police and the fire department arrived, a crowd had gathered outside the Brockreiter house. It was assumed that the doctor was still inside as no one had seen him leave since the explosion. But none of the neighbors were brave enough to go in and check for themselves. Finally, a contingent of firefighters entered the house in search of the doctor. There, a grisly sight greeted them. In one of the upstairs bedrooms, possibly the same room that Lida was found in a rocking chair, laying spread-eagled on the blood-soaked bed was the naked body of a young woman. She had recently been murdered, but the most terrifying detail to her death was that she was missing her head. Dr. Brunreichter was nowhere to be found within a search of the home. With the entire neighborhood looking, it would have been impossible for him to have left unobserved. However, he was gone, vanished. The police uncovered a strange laboratory with the severed heads of five more women. Wow. Notes found in the laboratory revealed that the doctor had been performing experiments with immortality. His supposed work on the heads involved keeping them alive after decapitations. Rumors that some of the heads were still able to blink or that their lips moved in silent screams circulated amongst the neighborhood. That's awesome. Again, you frightened me so much. Now the severed heads were hooked up to various pieces of electrical equipment within the lab. The explosion was determined to have been caused by a malfunction with the electrical lab equipment. Graves of five women were discovered in the cellar. Each of the bodies could be matched with one of the heads from the laboratory. There was a manhunt search throughout Pittsburgh for the mad scientist. Dr. Brunreichter, however, was never found, nor were any of his remains within the house. Later, in 1927, a man was arrested in New York's Bowery District. The man had been brought in for disturbing the peace. Standing in line with the other dirty and disheveled men, this particular vagrant seemed to give off what the officers would recall as a bad feeling. As the drunks shuffled along, the policemen entered their names into records one at a time. When this dirty old man reached the head of the line, the officer asked him his name. Dirty old man. Sorry. It kind of fits how he was described. Yeah. He replied in a harsh voice, slightly slurred with a foreign accent. My name is Adolf Brockreiter, the man said. And soon he began to tell stories to the police at the station. And they were tales even the most hardened officers would not soon forget. He told them about how many years earlier he had bought a house in Pittsburgh to which he enticed young women as guests. Anticipating romance, the women were instead beheaded and then used in experiments. Wow, he just told on himself? Huh. Well, he was drunk, he was poor, he was dirty. He made pretty much three squares a day in a bed? Well, he was basically at the bottom of the barrel. Yeah. And he confessed to the experiments in Pittsburgh, along with the location of even more bodies. Wow. Police searched the locations, but were unable to find any more corpses. 
Brunreichter was kept behind bars for a month at Blackwell's Island and was referred to as the Pittsburgh Spookman by the newspapers. He was later deemed harmless and released from prison. It was discovered after he left on the wall of his cell, scrawled in his own blood, were the words, quote, What Satan had wroth, let men beware. After those fateful words, nothing was ever heard from the man who claimed to be Dr. Adolf Brunkreiter again. He disappeared and vanished from history. The house, however, picked up a reputation for being inhabited by spirits and attracted those interested in psychic and supernatural phenomena. Hmm. That's an interesting one. Um, I read a quick article about him, but I didn't, I didn't know that last part about him being found later on and just saying his name. So that's pretty cool. Exactly, but I don't understand why they released him, because obviously he was wanted in ah, Pittsburgh, so either they didn't believe his story, or there was serious problems with the court systems during that time period. Yeah. And what happened to the guy? Did he just die in a gutter? Did someone pick him up and use him for experimentations <laughs> later on? The world may never know. Exactly. Well, I guess the world will never know. Well, we don't, and unfortunately, I did as best research as I could. However, there was more research to be done. Uh-oh. Chapter 4, Psychics and Inventors. Inventors? Mm -hmm. Julia Murray, a famous psychic medium of the time, was said to have detected a gruesome spirit that she believed had the potential to kill and the power to travel beyond the house. When she visited, she detected a horrible spirit there, and witnesses who accompanied her to the mansion stated that objects hurled by unseen hands barely missed striking her. Murray predicted that the entity would kill again and would eventually extend out beyond the confines of the house and into the neighborhood. Wow. That's she odd. Exactly. So she felt that the house was not done and that it would only get worse. She promised that the evil within was not finished with the people of Pittsburgh, and she refused to ever return to the property again. No, oh, just let them people die. Wow. Well, I think she was just so frightened of the house that self-preservation took over. Yeah. She gave her warning, though. True. Famed Thomas Edison had traveled to the house while working on a device that would allow him to communicate with the spirit world. Okay, wait. When I read about this, is it the actual Thomas Edison? The Thomas okay. Edison. <laughs> the Thomas Edison who was known for out, the light bulb see. and okay. so much uh, inventions involving electricity. Okay. Yeah, so I was kind of thrown off by that, and I tried to figure out if it was actually just a name or if it was the man himself. Well, let me enlighten you. It was the Thomas Edison. Yeah. And he was working on a device that would allow him to talk to the spirit world. He himself was not a believer in the supernatural, nor was he a proponent of the popular spiritualist movement of the time. He had always been agnostic, and although he did not dispute the philosophies of religion, he didn't necessarily believe in the truth either. He was a scientist. He believed that when a person died, the body decayed, but the intelligence that the man possessed lived on. 
He thought that the so-called spirit world was simply a limbo where disembodied intelligence waited to move on. Purgatory. I guess that would be a good way of describing how he viewed it. He took these paranormal theories one step further by announcing that he intended to devise a machine that could communicate with this limbo. The device may have been one of the inspirations for his ultimately never-constructed spirit telephone. <laughs> now, you have to understand that in 1920s, America was recovering from the horror of the First World War. Men were dying in the trenches, and it was a new horror to the modern world. So, there was a new and accepted desire to speak those long gone, and that grew with Ouija boards, spiritualism, and even devices made for peculiar things like chatting up the dead. So, the time was perfect for people wanting to talk to the spirits. Right. And it never died. What? <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Very much. Edison was said to have been working on his own paranormal tool to contact the past life. The spirit phone was going to use science to talk to the dead. It was supposed to call and talk to the dead as a disembodied consciousness. The device fanned the fascination of the public, especially considering his status as a famous inventor. Everyone wanted to know about the phone, which could talk to the dead. Same. Every proponent magazine and paper in the United States wanted the scoop to see if the invention existed or not. It might have been a breakthrough in afterlife communications. During this time, the wireless radio was fascinating and very popular as a new form of entertainment for the time. The concept that information could cross great distances without wires over space and time seemed plausible. People believed Thomas Edison in that his spirit phone could link to reach the dead. If people could use primitive phones, then maybe the dead could use radio waves to connect to the spirits. Edison never spoke of his time or work within the Conglarier house, and all of the work with the spirit phone stopped immediately. Perhaps the famed inventor heard something in the house that he wished he hadn't. Man, why does that got to stop there? Huh? I want to know why. I mean, he just stopped it all. He'd worked on it for so long. And he just stopped it after going to the house? Ah. Yeah, I think he got a phone call he didn't want. That sucks. But the history of the house is not over. Nice. Now go to Chapter 5, The Heir's Return. Cool. In one grand final twist, an heir of Charles W. Conglarier somehow returned to Pittsburgh and retained ownership of the house. There was new life within the walls of such misery, and it seemed as if the curse of the place had finally been broken. I read something about this, too, but I read that it wasn't an heir. And it was like, you know, is it a coincidence, or is it what? What is it? What is it? That this guy with the same last name came to this house. Okay. Well, I am going to touch on that. Okay. And I will clarify that for you with what I've read. Thank you. But before that, we have to get through the events that happened on November 14th of 1927. Oh. Yes. This was a tragic day. 
The Equitable Gas Company workers were a few blocks away nearing the completion of a huge natural gas storage complex. The company, to cut costs, many of the regular workers were laid off and replaced by immigrants who would work for a much lower wage. God, that's so rude. There was a crew of 16 workers who climbed to the top of the Equitable Gas Company's huge 5 million cubic foot natural gas storage tank. They were looking to find and repair a leak. At 8.43 that morning, a great sheet of flame erupted from the tank, and the huge container shot impossibly skywards into the air. Steel, stone, and human bodies were sent hurling into the air. Holy crap. Two of the men who had been working on top of the tank were thrown against a brick building more than a hundred feet away, and their silhouettes were outlined there in blood. Gross. Seconds later, another tank exploded, creating another gigantic ball of fire. Then, a third tank. This one was only partially full, but was wrenched apart and added to the inferno. Smoke and flames were visible for miles across Pittsburgh. The force was so awesome that it blew out windows and shook buildings for a 20-mile radius. Wow. Train locomotives were knocked over, and the homes and structures were damaged as far away as East Liberty in Pennsylvania. The little house at 1129 Ridge Avenue was only two blocks away from the site of the explosion. The battalion chief of engine company number 47... Dan Jones, who was part of the first fire unit to arrive on the scene, described the Holocaust as saying, Great waves of black smoke swept through the streets, and there was a whining noise in the air. And according to a book compiled by the Writers Project of America, the destruction stunned the city, who thought they were suffering from an earthquake. Quote, As houses collapsed and chimneys toppled, they wrote, Brick, broken glass, Twisted pieces of steel and other debris rained on the heads of the dazed and shaken residents who had rushed into the streets from their wrecked homes believing that an earthquake had visited the city. Even the rescue workers and the firefighters who arrived on the scene were injured and killed when weakened structures collapsed on top of them. Entire neighborhoods were flooded by broken water mains. Huge sections of the city laid in ruins. Portions of the giant gas storage tanks were later found more than a thousand feet away. Wow. Rough estimates from the following day listed that at least 28 people were killed and more than 600 injured from the explosion. It's horrible. This is all science, science right? This, I mean, these are facts. These are actually in okay. the newspaper. Right. But they got tied into the Conglarier house. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure that this was real. Mm-hmm. Okay. Rescue workers dynamited the ruins in search for the bodies of dozens of others who were still missing. Thousands were left homeless by the destruction. Here's where it ties into the Conglarier house, because it also resulted in the Conglarier daughter, Marie, being tragically killed after being sliced with glass from a broken window. The shattered glass cut into an artery of her leg, causing her to bleed to death and leave behind five children. The curse of the Conglarier house claimed the people killed in the explosion and her as its last victims. And just like the medium said, the dark entity extended its reach. 
It's interesting. 1129 Ridge Avenue was just two blocks away from the blast site and was nothing but a smoldering crater left behind when the smoke finally cleared. Nothing of the building remained. Okay, so how did the girl get cut in the house? Didn't she wasn't in the house? Where was she? It doesn't specifically say. So she may have been at a neighbor's house. And like I said, this destroyed a large section of the town. So it seems that the family wasn't in the mansion at the time of the explosion. But she was still killed, even though she was uh, even though she wasn't in the house. I didn't that. I in she fact, was in the house. No. Uh, in fact, homes on both sides and across the street from the Conglaria Mansion were heavily damaged, but were still standing. Yet, where the most haunted house in America had stood, and where Julia Murray's proclaimed an evil essence had lingered, there was nothing remaining. <laughs> A hole that was nearly 85 feet deep was all that remained. 85 feet deep? That's huge. Mm-hmm. It was the only house in the vicinity of which no trace could be found. The house itself was completely demolished, leaving only the large crater. Locals of Pittsburgh believed that the house was transported back to hell. I'm going with that. I mean, 85 feet? That's, that's unimaginable. Especially when the houses behind, around it were damaged, but they were still there. Well, yeah, but you could say sinkhole for that problem. The Conglarier house is now little more than a stretch of road. But the story has fascinated people for many years and has since grown into a famous ghost story, with the area still swarming with paranormal activity. Okay, so if we take 1129, whatever, whatever, whatever the street name is. Ridge. Right now and Google it, what is there? A highway. Highway. This area of the city is pretty much in the industry district. This where all, like I said, so there none was of the, the houses are there anymore. No, okay, no. They were all eventually demolished over the years okay. to make way for industry because this is where the gas plant was, the railroads were, steel transport places. So the city pretty much swallowed this part of the town. Okay, it's crazy. So what about the? Oh, never mind. You said it was just a highway. Okay, never mind. Keep going. Well, as we keep going, let's talk about Chapter 6, Modern Research. The legends of the Conglarier House passed down from generation to generation, and with such a story, it would attract several paranormal researchers through the years. Their work has turned out several facts that actually discredit the legend of the Conglarier House. Much of it has been discounted after researchers failed to find any records of a Charles Conglarier, Dr. Adolf Brunreichter, or evidence that a railroad company ever owned the house on Ridge Avenue. Wow. It's a fake house. In fact, the first recorded house built at 1129 Ridge Avenue was in the late 1880s. It was an average row house, typical of the working class neighborhood it was located in. Remember, this is where there was a lot of industry being done. Mm -hmm. So a mansion would have been quite unusual in Manchester. And the industrial neighborhood would have been undesirable for anyone building such a house. True, true. There is no record of a Charles Wright or Lyda Conglarier, nor police records of the alleged double murder. Although the legends explain this, that the 
high society friends covered it up, it would still be impossible for there to be no records of some kind. Absolutely. Here's to help support the question you brought up. Yeah. Okay. This is what I found out. A Conglaria family did live on Ridge Avenue during the 1920s. A Marie Conglaria, age 29, was killed indirectly in the Equitable Gas Company blast of 1927. This part of the legend is fact and not disputed. And it states that a window of the home shattered and a glass shard severed the main artery in her leg. Her family of five children remained in the home until it was demolished to make room for the highway. Hauntingly, Pennsylvania, a website that much of the original lore of the Conglaria house, as well as the debunking facts, was contacted by Jeff Steigerwald, whose mother-in-law, Nancy McConnell, was the granddaughter of Marie Conglaria. Okay. So, from a family interview, they published some of the first-hand facts related to the Conglaria house. So, according to this descendant, the family's name did not originate as Conglaria, but rather as Conciliar. Hmm. This change was prompted by the difficulty in pronouncing and spelling the actual surname. This explains why the Conglarias were difficult to find as the actual owners of the previous house. Mm-hmm. So Marie was actually a descendant of the Conciliars. Okay. And that's why there's a discrepancy Just in names. Just they've done that now? They've checked that one? I could not find any information on that. Pretty much, pretty much have, everyone has just assumed that the house was a story and not fact. Marie's true name was actually Mary, and she was just 29 years old at the time of her death. So that part of the story was accurate. The rest of the family moved from Ridge Avenue home in the late 1950s. Now, you were asking about Thomas Edison. Yeah. As for Thomas Edison's spirit phone, in the years following his death, the curators at both Edison Museums in Florida and New Jersey have searched extensively for the components, the prototype, or even the blueprints for the machine to communicate with the dead. So far, they've found nothing, making Edison's device the greatest mystery of his complex and intriguing life. Chances are that Edison played a gag or a hoax on reporters and everyone. That's crazy. There was no evidence exists that if he tried to make it, nor any plans or prototypes anywhere in his documents. <sighs> so confusing. This story very much is. It seems that the most haunted house in America, the house that the devil built, was the house that never was. Wow. It most likely exists in that part of our mind that fears the dark house at the end of the street. It is a place where we fear to tread because it houses the most horrible of deeds. Every town has one. And if you take a moment and think back, I bet you could think of one in your own hometown. For Pittsburgh, it has been and always will be the Conglarier House for so long as there are those who pass on its story. Wow. That's insane. I just... But for a story to have been passed on for so many years and accepted as reality yeah. for so long, even with the facts coming about saying that it's fake, it's hard to believe that such a house did not exist. I know. I mean, I, I don't know. It's, it's weird. It's really, like you said, it's very hard to believe it did not exist. And a lot of people refuse to believe that it didn't exist. Now, as far as popular culture, there's not been a movie that does a retelling of the Conglaire House which I am shocked because, I mean, it's just no right for a movie. 
but I did come up with a few haunted house movies to keep you up at night if you enjoyed today's episode. Okay. First off, the classic is House on Haunted Hill of 1959. Um, this is about five people who are summoned to a house by its quirky owner who challenges them to spend the night. Unsurprisingly, the host has more planned than just a social experiment with a price. Now, House on Haunted Hill is not particularly scary, but it is a lot of fun and great for its time period. So I've rewatched it multiple times. Yeah, as long as you watch that one and not all the new remakes. Well, most of these <laughs> movies that I'm going to talk about, I'm going to talk about the originals yeah. and not the remakes. Yeah. Like The Legend of Hell House, 1973. Mm-hmm. This one is about a physicist, his wife, and two psychic mediums who go to the Belasco house in search of spirits and a paycheck. After everything is said and done, they won't all be walking out. This is pretty much your stereotypical, by-the-book definition of a haunted house movie. It has spooky poltergeist scares and a mystery with a great deal of tension between its human characters. So if you want to know one of the original haunted house movies, this one fits it. Okay. So what haunted, what haunted house movies do you like? Um, Rose Red. <laughs> Rose Red is definitely a good Rose one. Rose Red is, I, I feel, the... Con- Jeller house. It's exactly what you said. So it is a yeah, you know, the retelling of the Conglomerate House. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's why I said I wonder if Stephen King found that in there. It's possible. Now, the last one I want to bring up, of course, you can never pass up on the Amityville Horror of 1979. <laughs> I mean, when you think of a haunted house, the Amityville House is definitely it. Oh yeah. I mean, you have newlyweds and their three kids move into a large house where a mass murder was committed previously. Then the family starts to have strange, inexplicable manifestations. There's strong effects on everyone. There are strong effects on everyone living or even visiting the house. So this one is definitely a haunted house to go by. But there's also been TV shows. What is the one that you that you love so much? The House on Haunted Hill. The Haunting of uh, Hill House? Yes. The Haunting of Hill House is a great one about a haunted house and the effects it had on people. But it's so far removed from the real story of it because it's still just the Shirley, Miss Shirley Jackson. Is that her Mm -hmm. name? It's based off her book, loosely. And then there's also the American Horror Story. The first season was pretty much based on... That was my favorite. That was based off of a haunted house theory. So pretty much if you like this episode... And you want more haunted houses, this is a large collection that you can find movies for. So, Goldianne, after hearing all the horror stories that came out of this ghost house that may or may not exist, what are some of your final opinions? Well, like I said, when we were closing up on it, um, I, it's really hard to believe that it doesn't or hadn't existed. It just, it's just the craziest thing. I've never heard of something that has so much background. I mean, when I was looking into it, there was just story after story after story after story. And then when I'm rounding it out, I'm like, wait, this might not have ever even existed? What do you mean? It, it is a, it is a like, knife in the back when you, like, when you hear that. Because the story sounds so plausible yeah. and so detailed and so supported by the public of Pittsburgh and the internet. I just don't get it. So, it's just flabbergasting. <laughs> so whether or not you believe in the Conglarier House, um, I think that 
I'm going to make sure I check the address of where I am tonight because I think this is a good time to make our way out of the mist and bring this episode to a close. Special thanks to David Facilian and Facilian Studios for our introduction music. We would like to ask you to please leave us a review on the podcast provider you are listening to this podcast on to help promote the show. We are on social media and would love to hear your stories and opinions about encounters with ghosts of your own. You can reach us on our Facebook page, Within the Mist Podcast. We are also on Instagram and Twitter. Plus, we have an email, Within the Mist Podcast at gmail.com, for any of you who would like to share about your own haunted houses. We love stories and hearing about your own personal experiences. For those of you who may need a daily dose of cryptids and ghosts, we have a TikTok channel which gives a few minute clips about a story involving some of your favorites and some unknown creatures and spirits. We hope you enjoyed our stories about the Condelaria House and we'll come again for another episode. But until then, remain constantly curious and goodbye. Hi everybody, see you next time. Well, as long as you don't go to any houses.